This podcast from Teacher is supported by Monash University. Check out their new podcast, Let's Talk Teaching, and join the conversation with leading academics in teacher education. Hello and welcome to the School Assembly podcast. I'm Jo Earp and in this second series we're following Joe Camazato and the team at Beamin's Secondary College, which is um, in Melbourne. If you're new to School Assembly, it's the podcast that explores what it's like to build a school from the ground up. So Beamin's Secondary is a dual campus college in Truganina, which is just to the north of Melbourne. That'll open to students from the first day of the 2024 school year. And uh, as we head into October then, Joe's been busy building her team of teachers, of leaders and uh, support staff as well. We know things are tricky on the teacher recruitment front at the moment. We'll be chatting about how things are going, um, maybe some of the strategies that she's been using to spread the word and promote the positions that she's got available to those potential candidates. So plenty to get through again. I hope you enjoy episode three. Um, hello again, Joe. Good to uh, catch up with you again. We're meeting online today. Um, now, one of our recent infographics for teacher looks at the growing problem of teacher shortages in Australia. And uh, for listeners who haven't seen that one, it shows how 90% of principals report experiencing a teacher shortage in the last 12 months. That's more than triple the rate in 2018. So that's what's happening for most school leaders out there. Um, Tell us what the experience is for you and uh, your colleagues. Yes, look, I, I would have to agree with some of those statistics. And uh, and then, look, I have to sort of preface this by saying, obviously, everyone's school context is a bit different. And this is just from my point of view and my experience. But there's definitely less applicants totally across the board. You know, three or four years ago, you could get between 25 to 40 applicants in an outer suburb new school. I'm sort of lucky now to get one applicant for positions. Usually it's zero. A a big amount would be four. Um, So there's no doubt that's changed. And there's a lot of different trends now. I think more and more you might offer a position also to teachers. And then what happens is they may accept it, but then a month later or two months later, they actually renew to say they've accepted a position somewhere else. Um, You know, it's kind of, it's a really challenging space. I mean, usually we used to leave most of our recruitment drive till term four. Now you've got to start virtually, you know, in June for for the following year. So I've been recruiting heavily and advertising steadily since um, July of this year, and I'm still not close. Um, You know, we'll talk about that a bit later, I know. Um, There are different things that you're up against. So depending on the system and the state, there are incentives to stay. There's bonuses to come across to another school. But of course, most of us are trying to work within what's fair and equitable for the current staff that we've employed or staff that we've got on our books. But I also think, Joe, that, you know, teaching's no longer, I think, perceived necessarily by people or the public as an attractive profession to go into. It used to be, oh, you know, you get school holidays. Well, you know, let's be honest. I mean, this is when teachers and principal teams and education staff want to go away. And this is when we're slugged with the highest 
you know, airplane tickets, the highest costs of Airbnbs. So we'd really rather travel other times of the year. So school holidays don't have that attraction. And we also know that there are other vocations out there with competitive salaries. Some places allow you to work from home. And even though I know employers want to get people back, the reality is that that space has changed and people are able to work from home in many things, small startups, big businesses. And some schools, maybe that's possible, but most parents want their, you know, most parents want their kids to go to a place, to go to school, because they've gone to work themselves and they don't want younger children staying at home. It's easy to say that, but it's not necessarily easy to achieve. Yeah, there's a lot of things that have changed. I think there's a, you know, a big trend here also of how it's perceived in the news. I think the media sometimes presents you know, the negative aspects of schools and teaching. And that's sad. I know we get a lot of positive stories, but we don't always remember the positive stories. We remember the conflict, things that have happened at schools, lockdowns. So I'm not sure if it's really attracting the amount of people into education that it used to. Yeah. You're up against a lot at the moment. And then, like you say, with that um that invitation to work from home for a lot of people as well that also plays into that so the latest update then at Beamin secondary college you've hired five leaders which is great so you've got your leadership team yeah. um fleshed out there you've hired uh 12 teachers but you've still got about 10 11 full-time teachers to, to recruit when you staff in a secondary school then it's it's you know, usually very, very different from a primary in that you've got all those subject specialists and some different types of courses too. I, I mean, in addition to those things you've talked about, are there particular subject areas that are more difficult to recruit for? Yeah, except I'll say that's a changing landscape um, all the time as well. It used to be the last couple of years, maths and science, and particularly senior secondary maths was difficult. Um, and even though I don't need people who can teach specialist maths right now, I still need people to understand where it's going and I need people to be able to extend those kids that require that kind of challenge. Um, but to be honest, it's changed. I can't find PE teachers. I've struggled. There's no food teachers out there. Um, I need teachers in English and humanities. So now it's just pretty much, you know, luck of the game in some ways of what comes your way. Um, I've been successful in recruiting a design tech teacher and digital tech teachers, but other schools are crying out for those. And even before this interview, I'm always looking online to see here in Victoria how many positions are up across other schools. And, you know, there's 26 schools that need a food teacher, a secondary school teacher for next year. And I don't know if there's 26 food teachers out there and there's 70 PE jobs up. And um, I know many of my colleagues are looking for PE teachers. So it's no longer just a specialist area. It really is across the board. Um, I don't want this to sound like dire straits, but it is a really big challenge for many, many schools. And I still have a small need for staff. There are big schools out in the western suburbs here who will need 30, 40 staff for next year to replace staff that have moved on. So that's quite daunting. And I have been in situations at my other previous new school the last couple of years where I have to recruit 30 to 35 staff. And it's really, really hard work in the current climate. You don't necessarily get there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those figures that you mentioned about 70 PE teachers, is that just state 
That's not... Yeah, that's just in Victoria. So I just looked on the Department oh. Recruitment Online. So it doesn't include Catholic and independent schools. It's just what's being advertised in the Victorian state school system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that just that's just one little area, so to mm-hmm. speak. <laughs> yeah. So, so then what about the different strategies then that, that you're employing to advertise then and spread the word and try and keep that recruitment ticking along? Yeah, look, I, I use every avenue that's open to me. <laughs> um, I'm very resourceful like that. So, I mean, I use the traditional, you know, advertising on the department recruitment site. Um, I also am using their job pool. The Department of Education here in Mel- in Victoria have introduced a three-day turnaround job pool. So you can see in three days' time if anyone's matched to the position that you want. I've tapped into universities with a possibility of um, engaging student um, provisional teachers, you know, for permission to teach. I have, I'm using um, two agencies from New Zealand to see if I can get some teachers from New Zealand. I'm using an Australian agent just to sort of find me some teachers here in in Melbourne. Um, I, you know, advertise on LinkedIn. I don't use Seek and other job sort of advertising um, platforms anymore, but I have used them in the past. Um, you sort of try to weigh up what's worth what, you know, is it actually working? And I also follow up every lead. I feel like I'm, you know, a real estate agent for teachers at the moment. Uh, I will call people that show any interest. I'll tell them to tell their friends. We have a mailing list of teachers who have expressed interest and we send them updates um, because I sort of have this theory even if they don't want the position or they don't even get the job, if they actually apply, they might tell someone else who will. Um, and I suppose that's reflected also in how I work with staff. I try to always be very authentic and build strong relationships with my staff because they might say, hey, you know, Jo's got, you know, lots of jobs up at her school. I've worked with her. Why don't you head over there? She builds interesting and fun, strong teams. So you just try. You just got to keep trying. You can't give up. That's probably my biggest mantra, even though it's a bit exhausting. And I'm also advertising more leadership positions that I need. So I have more learning specialists up because I'm just trying to capture strong teachers somehow. I don't need them all right now, but I'm going to, if I can find them, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. We'll put a link in to the uh, to your LinkedIn and the school LinkedIn and also uh, where you can find these vacancies just if there's anybody out there listening who thinks they fit the bill um what about I guess I was thinking about the mix of new stuff but I guess that also is so limited you know in a big pool of staff you'd be thinking oh I want a good mix of this that you know early year experienced maybe from this background you can't yeah I guess you can't be choosy can you no to that extent no, that's kind of out the window. Like in the past, you know, or even earlier this year, I start off with good intention and I consider the school context, our students, because that's really important. What what are our students like? What kind of teachers will best suit them? Um, and then, you, you know, technically, everyone in finance, you should consider your budget. But realistically now, I don't care. I'm just trying to find teachers that I think have the right skill set or a skill set that we can help build. Um, to engage with our students. That's it. Mm-hmm. I no longer worry about whether they're grads, experienced, whatever. It's yeah. just not viable to think like that. And that will put pressure on budgets, won't it? Because you could blow out in one, you know, if, if all the people available are at a particular level, you're going to then have a problem, aren't you? So this is this yeah. is a secondary problem for all principals as well. 
Yes, it is. And some schools are obviously in better position than others to do that. Some schools are very concerned about their budgets. Um, I'm sort of still slightly lucky at the moment because I'm opening a dual campus school. So obviously there's been provision made to staff across two campuses. However, I am conscious, like I said earlier, that maybe I wouldn't be putting in as many learning specialists as I would normally right now. But if that helps people apply for positions, that sort of, you know, extra bit of money, the fact that mortgage rates are high, petrol costs are over $2, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do it to see what I can do. Mm -hmm. So what about from your side of things selling it to to the applicants it's it's very very competitive then maybe you get one or two applicants you're a new school so how do you sell that to them then and say look this is the place for you is it down to sort of the vision and the, the mission at this stage uh, obviously you've mentioned before there's some kind of personal connection there but but how do you sell the school when it doesn't actually exist yeah so honestly i don't know i mean in um in, on the department site that we all still use, um, there's definitely a school profile blurb and our vision and mission statement is, is posted there. But people will call me and they ask me then what the vision is. And I think, okay, so you haven't actually read what I posted and that's all right. So I think it's more that people want to sort of check out who you are, um, see if they like the sound of your voice and what you've got to say. Is there a connection there? So I do try to make those sort of conversations always authentic because I am, you know, it does come down to this now. Um, everyone's writing different things on their school profile to attract them. I do try to point out um, how far the school is from certain key places in Melbourne um, because that's also a given. And look, I do think maybe there are some key words in the vision statement that are drawing some people in. But honestly, for some people, Joe, it really is, like I said before, petrol is over $2 a litre. They're pretty upfront. They're just looking for somewhere closer to home. They're looking to see if there's possibility of leadership development and further positions of responsibility in the future. And some are genuinely curious about the excitement of starting new schools. Um, but I'm really open to everyone because it's really hard to know what is attracting people and what is the point of difference. At the moment, the point of difference is it's a new school and there are great possibilities in new schools. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by Monash University's Faculty of Education. Listen now to their new podcast, Let's Talk Teaching, hosted by former teacher, Associate Professor Rebecca Cooper, as she invites teachers and alumni with a range of educational backgrounds and experiences to share their insights and discuss practical topics to help you develop and grow as a teacher. From the candidate side of things then, Let's assume that you've advertised your job, you get five applicants, um, and oh, what, <laughs> what, yeah. what are you looking for then? I guess I'm asking what I'm asking for your interview tips really. Is the principal sitting there across the table? What is it you're looking for? Um look, I think, you know, generally nowadays I'm looking for people who I think are going to connect with young people, who are genuinely interested in them, who have a sense of humor. Um, who love learning because, you know, we can build skill, we can coach, we can support. 
Um, you can learn content knowledge, but the ability to work in teams and the ability to be flexible and respond to others is what I'm listening out for all the time if someone gets a face-to-face -face interview. Um, and then there's some little other sort of key tips. Do a bit of homework, sort of know that you've applied to a new school. Um, sometimes people come in and they say, oh yeah, I didn't realise it was like brand, brand new. And you sort of think, what? You know, um, talk to your referees before you apply for a position and make sure that your referees match the job and that they're up to date and that you have mobile numbers and they're contactable because we're all pretty busy. And, you know, when you start having to hunt down people, you sort of think, is this person organised? Like, what's going on here? And there's all little clues that, you know, I always read things into. Um, and if you find out, you know, that you have an interview, interview, kind of put your best foot forward in your own personal style and means. I mean, I think the day where people turn up in um, suits and ties and, you know, really, really formal wear, it's sort of gone a little bit, but you still want to see that people have a bit of a personality, that they care about who they are and they care about the fact that they're a professional. Teachers are professionals. A lot of people have studied for four to six years. Sometimes people have done other degrees before they've gone into teaching. And I think sometimes people sell themselves short in the way they come across and how they present themselves. It's like a bit of learned helplessness or low self-esteem amongst the fact that you're a teacher. You know, I hate to sound corny, but stand up and be tall and be proud that this is your chosen vocation for now. Um, and then my other tip, this I'm going to say this for on behalf of all my principal colleagues out there across all the systems, tell a principal member of your school that you're applying for a position if you're working in one. There is nothing worse than your colleagues or your principal not knowing that you're applying out. And maybe sometimes there are tensions there and you don't want to say anything at the school, but find someone in leadership to tell, especially if you've got an interview, um, because usually that means some referee checks have gone out before the interview or they're going to go out after the interview and i it's i've had it happen to me even though i say to people please tell me you know i understand you want to move you want to grow i just need to know so i can plan staffing um and it is it is you know important to do that you've got to have the courage to tell someone if you're already in a school mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so in addition to the teaching roles then You've got all these non-teaching roles that, yeah. that, that make up a school. And we know it's a team effort, so it's not just the teachers and the leaders, but there's all these other support staff, admin staff, and so on. I'm thinking things, every, everything from sort of the maintenance of the school, uh, counselling maybe. Uh, what happens with those roles? Are you, do you, are you sort of hands-on with that, or is that somebody else that takes care of that? No, I'm definitely hands-on with that. I mean, but that sort of sits with my business manager and myself. And then we always invite a third person um, from another school into onto that panel. So I'm very much part of that plan. And Sam, Samantha and I work together. What do we need? Um, which administration roles do we need first? What support roles do we need first? How many students are coming into our school that require extra support? So how many classroom assistants do we need? Um, is it too soon for an IT manager or not? Um, how can we use our funding for mental health? Uh, do we need a youth count, you know, youth counsellor, student counsellor, or do we want a social worker? What does that look like? So from the start, we definitely are building those positions and, and we've got some of those positions online. Like I've got six laboratories, as you might have remembered from another episode. And even though they might not all be used at the one time next year, we will need a laboratory 
um, technician to help run those labs and set up practicals. We will need, if I can find a food teacher, we will need um, a food assistant to help run those classes and make sure everything's there for the teachers and work with the students in the classroom. So it's a busy time. I mean, probably the only role we may not need is a maintenance support person. But in saying that, like new schools, things become unstuck. They, you know, need a little bit of minor repair. As soon as you've put people into a new building, there's wear and tear. And, you know, we're not all very skilled in um, stapling and gluing. Um, and sometimes we need a bit of support in that area as well. Mm -hmm. And just you mentioned in there about wellbeing, how you mentioned uh, how you're going to spend your wellbeing budget and that kind of things. Um, that's that's completely changed, hasn't it, over the last few years? You know, so the the staffing that goes into that is that. I mean, I guess you've seen that change then over your career, the, the emphasis on on student wellbeing. Yes, look, I think very attuned schools have always had wellbeing teams, mm -hmm. and I was certainly that was one of my you know, beginning roles as a as a leader. So I was a leading teacher for student wellbeing at a school and I um, was sort of responsible for prevention programs, supporting students at a sort of short-term counselling level, connecting them with external agencies. I um, worked with an assistant principal who's part of their brief was wellbeing. I went on to become an assistant principal that focused on wellbeing and had a team that I worked with and... Um, but I think it's more that it's been acknowledged more strongly by the actual education department through funding models, through both federal and state government, that we cannot just see it as a tacked on thing. It definitely has to be considered in an integrated way in the school. And it's about everyone in the school community, students and staff. And, you know, we've always understood that. Um, we understood that before the pandemic. I think the pandemic just gave us a little bit more of a push to really acknowledge it publicly. And I think the young generation of students that are coming through and people who've also just graduated from university um, in their early careers are very aware of the importance of wellbeing and that we need to make sure that's part of our internal structures. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll we'll look at wellbeing in a, as, as a separate topic in one of the future episodes, um, but but we'll move on for now. Uh, I'm thinking some of those support roles, uh, will some of those be sort of outside services and, and other opportunities for schools to share that kind of expertise? We know there's a, a squeeze on uh, recruitment. Is, is there other opportunities there, there to share some of this expertise? Look, there's always opportunity. It's just really finding the right person and the right partner. So I've just stepped out of a school where I had the opportunity with the primary school principal that was situated close to um, my previous school. We were able to share a psychologist and that was fantastic. She actually found this person <laughs> and it was she was provisionally a provisional psychologist. She finished her studies. I supported the second or the last part of the person's placement. And then together, you know, we were able to put up a position and we found that we could share someone across the two sites, which was like the perfect arrangement because that person was also able to support the transitioning of year sixes into the secondary setting, which was great. 
Um, sometimes it's more about forming a partnership with other sort of service providers and seeing if they can come in and support the school or work with the students. So there's always possibilities, Joes. I never say no to anything like that, but it's got to work for everyone. Sometimes it's not always practical. You know, people are looking for a certain amount of work or the needs of various settings of different schools is quite high and you don't really want to share, but everyone's open, I think, in education to how can we problem solve these recruitment situations. Mm -hmm. And that's something actually just reminded me of, of one of the quotes from last episode, which I really loved, where you were saying about, you know, you've got to be prepared to respond to the changing nature of your own um, circumstances and most importantly, the student cohort, the student needs that you serve. That's right. and, and that's something you've always got to keep in mind, isn't it? Um, so finally, then, before we leave, although we could talk about recruitment all day, I think um, yeah. the usual three <laughs> questions uh, since the last time we spoke, then proudest achievement, biggest hurdle and key learning. Yeah, look, definitely the proudest achievement was seeing how the year 10 um, semester selection process has come together. Um, Sandy, my assistant principal or our assistant principal has done a great job there. I know I mentioned that last week, but it's now off the ground. It's about to be delivered electronically out to all our students. One of our colleagues has helped us out setting it out and how it looks. And I feel really excited because I think, you know, even all this material that you have to produce around helping students understand what's coming up next year needs to be engaging. And I feel that that's, we've done a great job there and Sandy's led that area. So that's one of our proudest achievements for the college. Hurdle, look, I'm gonna be really boring and say it's still recruitment, but I'm not gonna mm -hmm. make any more comments on that. There's nothing more to say. Um, now, for my own learning, my own learning is remembering that I love learning. Um, that sounds a bit corny, but I, made the time to um, attend a whole week um, coaching intensive at the Victorian um, Academy of Teaching and Leadership during the school, what was our deemed our school holidays with Jim Knight. And I really, really enjoyed that. It gave me some space to think about coaching in schools. Um, what's my coaching like as a leader? Where can I go with this? What coaching model will we have? I also had the opportunity to visit um, a non-government setting, Hester Hornbrook Academy, who works with very disengaged students, getting them back into schooling. And it was great to see the setup there. And I was thinking about what our classroom spaces might look like in the new school. So everything gives you sort of other ideas. And I really found that exciting. And then to end, you know, I also took myself along to a panel discussion at University of Melbourne at the Graduate School of Education last week to hear a panel discuss the future of teaching. And that also made me think of various things. Um, and it's it's good. I really love learning and I'm just trying to take the opportunity to hear about things and reflect on things that are occurring around me. It's great when you get inspired like that, isn't it? Um, that's all for today then. Uh, uh, thanks for joining me again, Joe. I know you're busy. Um, next time we'll be talking about building, we'll, we'll go back to building that school mission and the vision and the values. So we'll get stuck into that. And um, I thought we could also have a chat about some of the designs and the logos that are linked into that. But uh, in the meantime, have a good month, won't you? Yep, thanks, Joe. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep listening now, you can access almost 300 podcasts in the teacher archives just head to teachermagazine.com or wherever you get your podcasts from before you do that though if you could do me a big favor first leave a review it helps people like you to find the podcast and it's a good way to support the team so thanks for that
You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher, supported by Monash University. Listen to their Let's Talk Teaching podcast for valuable strategies and insights on the challenges teachers face today.